0: This morning, uh, we're beginning our series through 2 Thessalonians. It's really, uh, we're just kind of continuing through where we left off last week at the end of 1 Thessalonians. So uh, we're going to be in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1. And one of the great questions of human existence is uh, how we're supposed to cope when hard times befall us. In a novel uh, that I just read recently called All the Light We Cannot See, uh, this is precisely the question of a German soldier who's named von Rumpel. i trying my best at the German pronunciation there. Uh, in the heat of World War II, von Rumpel is tasked to hunt down this legendary French diamond. And this diamond is supposed to have supernatural powers. So whoever possesses The diamond is supposed to live forever. And at first, von Rumpel carries out this task simply as a good soldier. Uh, He's doing his duty to Hitler and the Reich. However, once von Rumpel discovers that he has a cancerous tumor growing inside of his body, uh, his search for this diamond begins to change. It turns from one that's dutiful to one that he personally is seeking after with all of his might. And this is all arising from the hope that maybe, just maybe, this legend is true and this diamond will actually cure him of his cancer. Well, needless to say, uh, suffering causes us to completely reevaluate our actions and change the way that we live. And in a sense, all of us are like that character, Von Rumpel. We're all looking for a diamond. We're all looking for something which will bring purpose to our suffering and make all of these things that seem like tragedies into blessings in our lives. Some of us, exactly like Von Rumpel, try to search frantically for a miracle cure for a terrifying diagnosis. Others of us Resort to trusting in platitudes or cliches while we live in denial. Some of us make significant changes, maybe to our health or diet or exercise, whenever we hear uh, something that's going on in our bodies. This, but despite our varied responses to suffering, we all want to know how we can handle our suffering positively and with joy rather than being eaten alive by our circumstances. And in Paul's second letter to the Thessalonian church, uh, we're going to see a church that responds positively to suffering. And the way they respond positively to their suffering is by drawing near to Jesus and finding in him all the resources that they need. So if you would, uh, look with me at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And if you're using one of those brown Bibles on the backs of the pews, it'll be on page uh, 1135. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would invite you to pray with me now that God would teach us this morning from his word. Lord, we pray this morning that you would make real to us the promise that you give us in Psalm chapter 4. That with you there is greater joy than for those who wine and grain abound. Father, show us this morning that in Jesus Christ we have greater joy than anything this life could bring us. Help us to see him clearly and cling to him in faith. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians begins a lot like his first letter to the Thessalonians began. He starts by greeting the church, and uh, we see that he's writing with these two people, Silvanus, or Silas as he's also called in the Bible, and Timothy to this church. And after his greeting to the church in verses one and two, uh, Paul launches into thanksgiving to God for the church. And at the beginning of this thanksgiving, at the beginning of verse three, uh, he uses a phrase that's a little bit odd. He says that we ought to give thanks for this church. So another way to express this idea is that Paul's saying uh, we're obligated to give thanks. To God for this church. Now, some have tried to take this and use it to say, okay, so 2 Thessalonians and 1 Thessalonians are two different letters. Maybe Paul didn't write 2 Thessalonians because this is different language than 1 Thessalonians uh, uses, and maybe somebody kind of tried to write under Paul's name. And if you were with us through our study of 1 Thessalonians, you have to realize this does sound a little bit odd. So, If you were with us, you'll you'll remember that Paul uses language that's very familial in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, He talks all the time about how he loves them. It's very informal language. And this appears to be kind of Paul business professional version, right? He's kind of buttoning up a little bit uh, in his talking to the church. But I think it's better to view it a little bit differently. And I think Paul still wrote this letter. Now... All of us, or at least all of us who have had jobs for any amount of time, have had to undergo uh, a job performance review. And some of you might think these are great. Uh, I kind of like them. Maybe it's because I have a good boss. Uh, but um, <laughs> but others of you might dread these. Uh, typically, they're not things we look forward to, I don't think. Um, and usually that's because uh, no matter what, whether you're getting good feedback, bad feedback, or a mixture of both it's usually more of a formality, right? So your boss has this, sh- this sheet and kind of go down the list and he got information maybe from somebody else like HR or something, didn't even personally invest, just kind of is checking things off and telling you uh, what you did or didn't do. And you walk away and you're like, I didn't really learn a whole lot from that. That wasn't super profitable, but it was very formal and very business like. But some of you Maybe who have worked for good bosses before, have had positive experiences with performance reviews. Where your boss might come up to you and she's deeply invested in you and you have a a closer relationship and she sees the work that you've done. And she gives you positive feedback, not in an aloof way, but a way that actually is heartfelt because she's seen your work ethic and the good job that you've done. And who wouldn't want this, right? Who wouldn't want glowing recommendations from a boss who's actually invested in you as an employee? I think that's more of what we get here. So while Paul's language sounds a little bit more professional and formal, I think really what it is, is it's a guy who is dripping with joy and love for this church and at their progress in godliness. That's the nature of these remarks here. And as we read on, we start to realize why particularly he is so overjoyed. So the second half of verse 3, if you look down at your text, said that this church's faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. God has been faithful to this church here at Thessalonica. And this is exactly what uh, the Apostle Paul wants you as the reader to see and wants them to see As he's opening this letter. To show you what I mean. Let's back up. I'm going to put it on the screen. Or I'm not. But it's on the slides. Maya's going to put it on the screen. Uh, It's it's from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And this is a prayer that Paul prayed over the Thessalonian church. So let's read this prayer. And I think this will show us how God has been faithful to this church. This is what Paul prays. He says, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Okay, did you catch it in there? So he prays in 1 Thessalonians that they would fill up what is lacking in their faith and that their love would increase for one another. And then you come to the beginning of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and what is it that God is working in the Thessalonian church but faith and love? God is faithful to this church, and he is faithful to answer the prayers of the Apostle Paul that the church would be built up. God delights to build up his church. He wants nothing more than that. And so, church, I would encourage each of us this morning, do not grow weary in your praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray That their faith and love would increase and spread like wildfire. Because that's what God wants to do among us. Amen? He wants to work love and faith into us as a church. So we need to be praying for that to take place. But it's the particular context of their growth in godliness that makes Paul's thanksgiving even more meaningful. So let's reread verse 4 together, and we'll see what I mean here. It says, Therefore, so on the basis of your growth in faith and love, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God, for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This church at Thessalonica is a church that came of age in suffering. And ever since the inception of this church that we read about in Acts chapter 17, this is a church that's been familiar with persecution. And in Acts 17, and we're not going to go turn there, but we're going to recount the events a little bit. I would encourage you to go turn there after the service. When Paul first brings the gospel to the Thessalonian church, uh, the people begin to receive it and respond with joy But others are not happy that Paul is there. And eventually, they stir up the people, and they run Paul and his associates out of town. And so you got to love Paul here. Paul just keeps doing what he's called to do. Goes to the next town over called Berea, just keeps preaching the gospel. More people keep getting saved. It's awesome. Then, these people who persecuted Paul at Thessalonica aren't satisfied that they drove Paul out of their town So they go to the next town over, stir things up, and get Paul kicked out of that town. So they're like, yeah, we're not cool with you being not only here, but we don't even want you in the next town over kind of thing. They're like, get out of here. This is the kind of, uh, this is how the church started there. And this was very indicative of their life as a church in this big city that was loyal to Caesar and the Roman Empire. As we read about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2 as well, this is a church that continued to suffer intermittently with spats of persecution throughout its young life. And as we come to verse 4 of 2 Thessalonians, we see that these afflictions are afflictions that they are enduring. So present tense, they are enduring these persecutions right now. They're in the heat of it. They're plunged into another bout of suffering. And while we're going to see later in the letter, uh, in a couple of weeks, Benjamin's going to bring to us the beginning of chapter 2, and that starts to deal more specifically with the nature of this suffering. So we'll save it for then. But just know, this church is in the thick of suffering as this letter begins, as it's being written. As, uh, as Mark shared with us uh, earlier, uh, there, as, and as most of you know from watching the news, in recent years there have been a number of terrible wildfires in California that have brought absolute devastation. And um, I, uh, I was thinking about this this week in relation to our passage and started doing some research on uh, California wildlife. I know it's your uh, offerings and tithes going to good use. And I uh, uh, and, but as I as I researched, I found this was super interesting. So there's this local species of pine tree that's native to California in the area where wildfires grow. It's called the ponderosa pine. Okay, I want you guys to be taking notes. And uh, um, they have a thick bark that pr- actually protects the heart of the tree from fire. So they've developed this mechanism to grow thicker bark on the outside of their tree to cope with the fire. So the fire actually doesn't get into the inside, the heart of the tree. It just burns the outside of the bark off. It's interesting, right? And they have, uh, they, they do not grow branches that are lower than like 20 to 30 feet. So fire can't start on these branches and creep up the rest of the tree and engulf the whole tree. But there's more, okay? Uh, there's other trees and plants which actually use fire and have adapted to fire so that fire is the means by which they reproduce and grow as a species. Uh, so there's a couple species, uh, different species of plants and trees that will have these seed pods that they'll drop. And they're glued shut with like this very hard gr- glue that can only be undone when it's melted under intense heat. So whenever there's fire, these seed pods open up and spread everywhere. So the trees now literally depend on the fire for their growth and flourishing as a species. It's interesting. This is exactly what is happening and has happened with this church in Thessalonica. And this is what suffering and persecution does for us as Christians. When those who wanted to oppress them and do them harm closed in, This church only endured and flourished. They grew. They abounded in faith and love as suffering came. And their unexplainable growth in grace, given their context of suffering, could only come about by God's faithful action on their behalf. And this is why Paul is so pumped up about this church I mean, look at verse four. You read it. He gets so excited about this church that he goes around to all the other churches and boasts about how awesome this church is and how faithful they have been in the midst of terrible, terrible circumstances. And even compared to 1 Thessalonians, this is a deeper, richer thanksgiving that he's giving here than even he gave in 1 Thessalonians. And this is similar, I think, uh, for all of you who have children. I think this is similar because um, I speak from so much experience. I don't have any kids. Uh, but I think this is similar to what you all experience whenever your children grow up. So there's something amazing to watching your four-year-old hit their first, get their first hit in T-ball. Right? That's awesome. You see this, this little body that you saw that couldn't even feed itself and the arms and legs didn't even hold the body up. Now they're hitting a ball and running to a base. That's amazing. And you celebrate that and you're so happy for your kid when that happens. But there's a greater weight when you see your child graduate from high school and go off to college and say, that is a young woman and a young man. And they're moving from my household and they're going on to uh, to pursue their future career and their life. There's a certain weight to your joy in them in that moment than there is when they're learning how to hit a t-ball. Even though they're both genuinely amazing things and you have real joy at both of them. And for Paul, the spiritual father, as it says in First Thessalonians, of this church... There's a certain weight to their endurance and sanctification through suffering in a number of years that causes him to just overflow with joy and tell everyone about it. That this church has held fast to their confession of faith even through these circumstances. Some of you might read that and you might say, okay, so the word, so boast, you might get hung up on that word. So you might say, okay, it feels a bit like Paul's kind of tooting his own horn. Right. So he's going around to all these churches and he's like, Hey, I started this one and they're awesome. Uh, you know, that's like Benjamin and I going to a pastor's conference and being like, Hey, community free church. It's awesome. All these things are happening there and nobody solicits that, uh, from us. And they're all just like, Okay, man. Uh, (laughs) um, but I don't think that's what's going on here. I would submit to you that Paul's boasting in the Thessalonian church here and our boasting in one another. In our fellow believers, does not take the attention and glory off of God, but rightly gives him glory for the work he has done in our lives. Listen to what uh, commentator and pastor John Stott has to say on this verse. It'll be on the screen. He says, Thanksgiving and boasting appear incompatible, yet there is one kind of boasting, Which is perfectly compatible with thanksgiving. Because in reality, it is a synonym. It is boasting in the Lord. We as Christians are to be people who boast in those who don't boast in themselves. Right? You see the beauty of that? So, uh, Stott in this quotation, he lists 1 Corinthians 1 as a reference which says that I boast, Paul's talking about how he boasts in nothing except Christ and him crucified. And so as Christians, we get to boast in what God is doing in one another because we all recognize that it's not us that's at work, it's God. And in doing that, we are boasting in the cross of Christ and giving God glory for his work in us. I heard an interview recently with a Christian writer uh, who said that Pastors do a much better job at exhorting their congregations than they do at commending them. And this means, essentially, we as pastors do a lot better job of telling you what to do and believe, rather than actually telling you you're doing a great job and being faithful at what the Bible tells you to do and to believe. So this morning, I want to exhort and commend you. Uh, So community, let's be a church that can't stop praising God for what he is doing in one another's lives. Let's be so overjoyed at the faith, love, and hopeful endurance that God is working into us that we can't help tell everyone about it. Like, think about this. Rather than a church, so often churches are characterized by gossip and backbiting. It's unfortunate, but it's the truth. But wouldn't you rather have a church that's characterized by us talking about each other to one another and saying, man, that person is awesome. I can't stop talking about what the Spirit of God is doing in their life. Think about the kind of unity and love that that creates in the life of a church, where we're quick to boast in what God is doing in one another's lives and giving Jesus the glory. But I think, as I thought about the ways in which, like the Apostle Paul commends this church, the ways that I could commend our church. I came up with three things. And so I just want to share those with you. I hope they're an encouragement to you before we continue on. So first, community, in a time of transition, where really over the past two and a half years, our church has been in transition, right? We, we left our building. We met in a middle school. We renovated this building. We were in this building. And now we've just are in the process of going through a pastoral transition, The love and unity that has been shown in this congregation can only be attested to the Spirit of God. And I have been so blessed, and all of us, I think, have been blessed by that fact. And as Paul reminds us in Ephesians 4, 6, that is the epitome of the calling of the church, is to be knit together in unity in one Spirit. Second, I've seen this church's faith in God play out in the way in which you all are so radically generous. I think if I were to characterize our church, radical generosity would be one of the things that characterizes this church body. Both personally, I've experienced this, and I've seen it in the church as a whole, that you all are characterized by an open-handedness with your possessions. And that's a beautiful thing. And lastly, There are so many of you in here who have suffered terrible things like the church at Thessalonica have, and yet you have clung to Jesus Christ. And that is something that the rest of us as a church cannot thank you enough for. You are literally a walking embodiment of hope and the gospel and the way that you cling to the resurrection life and second coming of Jesus Christ. So we thank you for that. You've built us up in doing that and encouraged us. Well, the one question I think after our study of this that remains from this passage, kind of bubbles up from underneath the passage is this. How are we able to suffer like that? So we've looked at how this church has suffered and borne fruit and produced even greater in the midst of terrible circumstances. So the question we need to ask is, how is it that the fire of trials and persecution caused this church to produce more abundantly? So especially for us as Christians, we know Jesus promised us in John 16, He promises us that in this world we're going to have trouble. And so how can we ensure not only that we stay standing in the middle of trouble but that we continue to bloom and blossom through trial. How do we ensure that this happens? And as many of you know, and I know from personal experience, suffering has a tendency sometimes not to produce faith and love in us, but to cause us to drift away from our confession of faith. I think about the things in my own life that caused me to drift away from Jesus. And they are so minuscule and small compared to the things that the Thessalonians faced and the things that some of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are facing today. So how, how in the world do we have a chance of flourishing and becoming more and more human in the midst of our suffering? And I would submit to you, this is how. Being united to Christ Now, it might sound overly simplistic, but let me show you what I mean. In John chapter 15, uh, Jesus uses this well-known language of the vine and the branches to describe his relationship with his followers. And what he's trying to communicate is that those of us who are grafted into Christ by faith are able to be nourished from his life. And that's the type of relationship that we have in Jesus. You see, being united to Christ, being grafted into the vine and being branches of the vine makes it possible for us to be nourished in all circumstances. You see, Jesus underwent the suffering of the cross on your behalf and now walks with you in the midst of suffering, offering himself to you every step of the way for your joy. He gives you himself. Now think about that. Think about the story of the Christian gospel. That God did not leave us aloof in our... He was not aloof to our suffering. But chose in Christ to enter into our suffering. And now walks with you as a high priest who is able to sympathize with your weakness. And he offers you himself. And so when you're rooted in Christ by faith in the spirit, you can have joy in Jesus no matter what the circumstance is. You see, Jesus is like that diamond uh, that von Rumpel, that we talked about at the beginning, was searching for so desperately. Only this fairy tale is actually true because there is one who can turn all of the curses of suffering into blessings one day because of his grace. He doesn't take our suffering away. But he guarantees our joy in the midst of it and deliverance from it one day in himself. See, it's only those who are planted in and nourished by Christ who are going to be able to remain faithful and flourish when trials come. And so what that means for us, church, is that we need to draw upon the nutrients of Christ. We need to drink them down to the depths of our soul. So, how do we do that? How do we feast on Christ? What does that look like for us? And I think, at bottom, basically, it means two things for us. It involves enriching ourselves in the word of Christ, and enmeshing ourselves in the body of Christ. Enriching ourselves in the word of Christ, and enmeshing ourselves in the body of Christ. So, in the scriptures... Christ's beauty is on full display everywhere. And his promises are there to bolster you in terrible tragedy. So let's look at one in particular. Uh, this one was read, part of it was read in uh, earlier in the worship service. This is the end of Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to read a selection of these verses here. And let's look at what Christ would have us to feed on here. He says, He who did not spare his own son... But gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come. Nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That, is, that verse is read so oftentimes, but that is remarkable. Think about this. For those of you in here especially, if you are in the midst of suffering this morning, even now, in the midst of that suffering, God is giving you all good things in Christ. And how do we know this? Because he has not even spared his own son for us. That is the type of love that's demonstrated for you, that God gave for you. And if God has given us everything like that, then nothing can come in the way of his love for us and good purposes for us. Not even cancer, sexual abuse, or death. He is stronger than those things and shows his love to you in Christ in the midst of those things. That is good news. That's what it means to draw on the riches of Christ, be united to him. But maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're suffering and you hear that and you say, I can't even, I can, my, my circumstances are so terrible, I can't bring myself to believe that. I just can't. And I'm here in church today and it was a miracle that I am here in church today. And maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you're struggling so much that you don't even feel like opening up your Bible and seeing in it the promises of God for you in Christ. And I would say that is exactly why we have one another. If I am suffering and I don't feel like reading my Bible and, and drawing upon the riches of Christ and I'm so bloodied and beaten up by the trials of my life, I need you all to pick me up And carry me to the feet of Christ. And show me there his riches and his beauty and his glory. That's why we have one another. You see, our individual lives, we're so, we're so, this is so hard for us to see. But our individual lives in Christ are not separate from one another. That's what the image of the vine pictures or the body of Christ. That our relationship with Jesus is organically connected to one another. And so as it says in 1 Corinthians, if one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. And so we, together as a church, need to pick one another's heads up and show each other Jesus, point each other to Jesus. That's what we hope our worship services here on Sunday morning are like. Maybe if you're here this morning and you couldn't open up your Bible I pray that something in this sermon or the songs that were sung or what Mark shared with you have pointed you to Jesus and you can take another step because you've seen his beauty again this morning. That's what we want. So if you're here this morning and you're suffering, Jesus has done everything possible to ensure that even in the midst of this, you might have joy in him and continue to live a life of faithfulness and love marked by hope. And if you're here this morning and you're not suffering, feast on Jesus in preparation for the day when you will suffer. And then get busy helping your brothers and sisters to see Jesus better and more clearly. It's only when we all together behold the multifaceted beauty and love of Jesus that we can grow together in faith and love no matter our circumstances. So church, Look to Jesus. See in Jesus everything that you need. See his love for you and draw upon his riches. Let's pray together. Father, when we read those promises to us, I confess that it feels like it's too good to be true. It does feel like something like a diamond that's promised to make us live forever. But Lord, we recognize that it is true, that all of our deepest hopes and longings and desires truly come to pass in Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray, I pray that this week as we go from here, cause your spirit to work in us so that we see Jesus and are able to endure whatever comes in this life. And we see him as beautiful May we see his life and death and resurrection on our behalf. And may we enjoy, run to him and cling to him anew today by your spirit. And if there are those of us today who are struggling and can't do that, give us, show us by your spirit as your people, the ways we can encourage them and help one another to see Jesus. We want to continue to be built up, Lord, in faith and love. So help us to do that by looking to Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.